72 years ago, on this day, our country dropped an atomic bomb on the Japanese city of Hiroshima. Three days later, when Japan continued to refuse surrender in the Second World War, we dropped another atomic bomb, this time on the city of Nagasaki. Hundreds of thousands of people died, either the day of the blasts or in the months to follow. Michi Hattori Bernstein was a 15-year-old schoolgirl when the bomb was dropped on Nagasaki. Here is part of her account of that day. I may not have been the brightest student in high school, but I was probably the most obedient. When the city sounded the air raid warning, I ran as fast as I could to the cave the government had dug into the side of a hill for us students. I always made it to the shelter ahead of the rest of my class. I say always because Nagasaki had been bombed five times before that day. Out at our school, we heard the explosions or saw the sparklers coming down, but they never came near us. Even the sounds were muffled by the hills around our location. We thought the warning on August 9th would be like the others. That's why a lot of the girls just hung around the school. At that point, the government had not announced the atomic bombing in Hiroshima three days before. The teachers made us all leave the classrooms, telling us to run to the shelter. I did but most of the others just stood around talking in the schoolyard. It was not that unusual to see Bison flying over. That's what most of us called the B-29. A single Bison had never, had never caused trouble, just checking the weather or taking pictures of the coast, we assumed. When the bomb exploded, it caught me standing in the entrance to the shelter motioning for the pokey girls to come in. First came the light, the brightest light I have ever seen. It was an overcast day, and in an instant, every object lost all color and blanched a brilliant white. My eyes couldn't cope, and for a while, I went blind. A searing hot flash accompanied the light that blasted me. For a second, I dimly saw it burn the girls standing in front of the cave. They appeared as bowling pins, falling in all directions, screaming and slapping at their burning school uniforms. I saw nothing for a while after that. Immediately, a powerful wind struck me. It propelled me farther into the cave. Then in an instant, it threw me out the front entrance. I guess the shock wave hit the back of the cavern and bounced. It took me with it and others who had sought refuge in the shelter. We came tumbling out onto the ground. What a terrible feeling. I could see nothing 
my hands and face singed, intense pain gripped my body. I tried to walk a little and stumbled over a fallen tree. I lay there, not knowing for sure where I was or whether something else might happen to me. When my senses, including my sight, began returning, I heard crying from the girls in front of the shelter. All except one were now standing and blowing on their skin. The face and hands of the other girls quickly turned bright red. I guess my being partially inside the cave provided some protection because my stinging began to disappear before long. Fires started all around us. Flames leaped from paper and wood scraps, some from collapsed structures. Thick smoke and dust filled the air. The fires gave the only real illumination. Even the noontime sunlight, filtering through the clouds, darkened. The word I kept hearing the girls say, Jigoku, means hell. That's the closest I ever want to come to Jigoku. This month here at North Lake, the theme is awe. The dictionary defines awe as a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear, wonder, or admiration. Thankfully, I have not personally experienced the explosion and devastation of an atomic bomb. And yet, I believe I can say with certainty that the awe with which Michi described her experience of Jigoku after the bombing in Nagasaki was the kind of reverent respect mixed with fear. An experience of that magnitude understandably leaves one in shock. Our minds, our psyches, are designed to respond to horrific trauma and threats with animalistic tendencies. And yet, as human beings, how do we process all the information in something so huge? What do we do with that kind of awe? For those of you who have witnessed the birth of a baby, you know the awe that comes from the emergence of new life from the living body of another person. The fetus growing inside a womb inhales oxygen for the first time and moves its limbs outside the confines it has always known. If that's not awe-inducing with admiration, then I don't know what is. And the Perseids meteor shower is currently taking place. This happens every year as Earth passes through the path of the comet Swift-Tuttle, and debris burns up as it hits our atmosphere. Upwards of 200 meteors per hour can be seen this year. It's quite a spectacular year. However, tomorrow is the full moon, which makes it harder to visibly see all those shooting stars. Nevertheless, 
they are there. A friend of mine mentioned in passing the other day, while looking to the sky, the meteor shower is happening right now. We just can't see it. I wonder what we can't see when we look to the sky. I wonder how many meteors have hit and burst so far this morning since I started speaking. I wonder. Reverential respect mixed with wonder. Awe encompasses all three. Fear of what we don't know, fear of that which is bigger, stronger, wiser than us, admiration for and toward, wonder in what we don't know, in what we can't perceive, the excitement, the merriment, all the questions. There is so much that we don't know, so many unanswered questions. Mystery is just that, a mystery unknown to us. What happens when we die? Do we live on in some capacity? Are we reborn? Is there a heaven? Will we feel anything? Will we remember anything? Do we get to reconnect with others who went before us? Why are we even here? What is the purpose of our existence? How does the answer or lack thereof to these questions influence the way that you live what Mary Oliver calls your one wild and precious life? What captivates you, scares you, moves you? Awe is the feeling of reverential respect mixed with wonder, and wonder is caused by something beautiful, something unexpected, something unfamiliar, or something inexplicable. Astronaut Neil Armstrong said, mystery creates wonder, and wonder is the basis of man's desire to understand. The nature of knowing naturally flows from our sense of awe and wonder. And in speaking about awe, I can't help but be excited for this congregation as you prepare to welcome your new interim minister, Reverend Jim. I appreciate that Jenny mentioned this earlier, that in a few short weeks on August 20th, you will have an opportunity to meet with him and for him to start to get to know you as a congregation. The possibilities in new beginnings and the fear of the unknown and the unfamiliar. Your burning wonder of what is to come I urge you to hold these in reverence. Hold these with awe. Some of you may be familiar with the Jahari window technique. Developed by psychologist Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingham in the 1950s, the Jahari window is a tool used to help people better understand their relationship with themselves and with others. Imagine, if you will, a window that consists of four panes of glass. The first pane 
represents what you know about yourself and what everybody else knows about you. This is the open pain. The second is what only you know about yourself, things that other people don't actually know about you. While the third pain represents that which other people know about you, but that you don't know or recognize about yourself. And the fourth pain is the unknown, qualities you may or may not possess that are beyond the collective knowing. It is unknown, no one knows. Now, this morning, I learned about the Jahari window in seminary, and this morning I'm gonna suggest that this self-discovery tool that's usually used in groups to help encourage deeper relationships can also be applied to our understanding of mystery. There are things in this world, in that first pain, about our lives that everyone knows. For example, gravity exists on this planet. Even if you don't understand the scientific explanation for how it functions, you are bound by the rules of gravity. Believe me, that's pain one. Then there are things that you know to be true. What you have come to understand, to know deep within you as truth. The answers to some of your pressing questions, perhaps ones you've sought your entire life to answer. That is the window pane of your knowing. Next to it, up here the third, is the pain of your neighbor's knowing. The deeply held beliefs, the truths that other people have come to know, to find solace in. These beliefs are not yours, yet their depth of understanding of mystery helps shape the broader window. That's the third pain. And lastly, that fourth pain is yet again the unknown. It is through this pane of glass that we gaze into the vastness of unknowing. We shout our questions to the top of our lungs, following our entreaties out into this chasm from whence no answers are guaranteed. We seek in this fourth window pane knowledge, grasp for insight, discernment, and oftentimes certainty. And as with the Jahari window, the lines defining the four different panels shift in our lifetime. We continue to learn more about ourselves, and perhaps one or two of those four panes grow larger than they once were. I believe the same is true when we apply this method to mystery. What we know to be true, what we understand, the collective beliefs of those around us, all of these shift and change the size and shape of our four window panes. And what is it that stimulates these shifts? Our wonder our inquisitiveness, the questions that we ask and the actions we take to seek answers. 
Awe is not a static state of being, not a resting place. Awe is active inspiration. It is the movement of wonderment wrought out through your questioning. And it compels you into mystery. So I have a question for you. How many of you thought I was going to open this shiny blue box during the Time for All Ages earlier? Ah, some of you wanted me to, right? And at the risk of slighting the children who actually kind of guessed what was in here, but I was hoping they would just be eager to find out, I'm going to tell you all what's in here. And then I'll share it with the kids after the service. This shiny blue box contains nothing. And everything. Several people said nothing. Some of the ch children even said nothing. And somebody said everything also. So I guess I can end right now. Inside this box, there is nothing. When I wrapped it in the shiny blue paper and put the two sections together, I didn't add any treasures or trinkets before closing it. There was nothing in there but the air that filled the space hollowed out in the cardboard. It's empty, and if I open it and show you, you would see that there's nothing in it. And if I handed it to you, you could feel for yourself that the space in there is hollow and that there's nothing in there. But this shiny blue box also contains everything. Before I told you and confirmed your guess that there was nothing in it, the mystery of what it contained had endless possibilities. There could have been a few coins in here. Some of you all had good guesses earlier. Maybe a deck of cards, some rose petals, a pet frog named Fred, a love note. I could have had a diamond necklace in here or some dirt from the moon. Now, the finite dimensions of this box limit what tangible object could fit inside. So why do I say it had everything in it? The mystery of what's inside this shiny blue box encompasses all the possibilities, all the answers you could possibly imagine. This shiny blue box contains hopes, dreams, infinities. It contains silly answers and impossible realities. I could have told you that there's an elephant in here. And then after the laughter died down, I could have pulled out a picture of an elephant. And then I would have had the last laugh. Or I could have said that this cardboard box contained 400 milliliters of water. It's not soggy, dripping, or falling apart. But if I opened it to reveal ice cubes, boom. Our capacity for wonder moves us in our questioning and grounds us in our knowing. Asking the questions, seeking a deeper understanding of the mystery, we discover so much more than we can ever imagine. The awe and wonder inherent in our delving deeper 
fills us with the magic of the stardust and the hope of a newborn baby. The awe and wonder intrinsic in our unknowing begets the fear of that which threatens us and the comfort of our cognitive capacity for reasoning. The awe and wonder built into our seeking precipitates the expansion of our knowing and the exponential increase of our questioning. A shooting star careening across the night sky. A sincere religious conviction stirring truth deep within your soul. A shiny blue box full of nothing and everything. Behold, the possibilities are as plentiful as the stars. Amen.